Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 100 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. That's right, 100 episodes, triple digits. I'd like to start off by thanking my buddies Eddie and Bennett for starting me on this path. The Change Your POV podcast, which can still be found on all of your favorite podcast platforms, is a group of shows that's dedicated to helping veterans change their point of view once they leave the military. I'm honored and appreciative of their support. A hundred shows is a big milestone. Most podcasts don't get past the first 20, even less the 50. Here we are at a hundred. I thought that I'd run out of things to say a long time ago, but it's been great having the conversations that I've been having about veteran mental health. Today's guest is Christopher Lockhead. This is a departure for the show for a number of reasons. He's not a veteran. He's not a mental health professional. He's not affiliated with the military in any other way other than as an avid admirer and supporter of those who served. Christopher is a number one best-selling Amazon author and a top 30 rated podcaster. He's been an advisor to over 50 venture-backed startups, is a venture capital limited partner, and a former three-time Silicon Valley public company chief marketing officer, entrepreneur, and co-author of two bestsellers, Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different, and Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets. After getting thrown out of school with few other options, Christopher started his first company at 18. He's a dyslexic paperboy from Montreal, Canada with Scottish roots. Over 30 years in business, he's earned a Ph.D. from the School of Hard Knocks, experienced the bliss of winning, the pain of failure, and learned how to laugh about the whole thing. He loves family and friends, thinks the Ramones are legendary, believes George Carlin was right, and loves riding the mountains and waves of Northern California. It is an interesting phenomenon to see how empowering it is for people to reinvent themselves. You know, we live at a time where, in a lot of ways, the technology has allowed you to niche down. If you want to be Dwayne France, you, you can do that, right? You can niche down into a tight, tight niche, you know, mental health for veterans. And prior to the technology, it might have been hard to do that because if there, if you lived in a place where there wasn't a large vet population, you might not have much of a business. But of course, today with the internet, you, you can reach millions of vets. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. 
you know, as I've been telling you, um, it, just everything that you've been doing, it's been a, an inspiration for me and definitely, uh, what I wanted to bring you on and, and help share what you know. I know you love veterans, but also the, the benefit that you can get that veterans can get from, uh, listening to you. Oh, wow. Well, that's, um, um, awesome. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. And, and, and you know how much I love, um, I love our vets and I've had some pretty amazing vets on the podcast, as you well know. Yeah, no, it's uh, you, you have, I was looking at commander divine. We'll, uh, we'll lump Sebastian Younger in there too, even though he's not a vet. He's uh, we accept him for that. He certainly is in the community, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and uh, I don't, to- I don't know that there are many Americans that love our veterans more than, uh, than Sebastian does. No, no. And, and, uh, you know, you guys talked about his book tribe. Um, yeah. but those of us, uh, heck I've got it right here behind me. I think as a matter of fact, it's, uh, sitting right there, but, uh, yeah. it, just about every veteran that I read it, they sit there and they're like, you know, this is spot on. Um, and, and then you yeah. have uh general Stan, we called him uncle Stan when we were in Afghanistan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I had him back for a second time when his most recent book came out, uh, his most recent leadership book. Yes, you know, and and uh, and just being able to have those conversations, um, you know, you you it didn't serve in the military. You know, you're from. What is it about veterans that you're so passionate about? Where where'd that come from? I guess. Um. You know, I, I could give you a, a long answer if you want, but the short answer, I think, is um, we have a military in this country, like in my home country of Canada, that is 100% volunteer. And there is absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt no question and it cannot be argued and i i don't know why you would that when somebody raises their hand and says i am going to serve my country and i am potentially going to risk my life doing that um i I mean if you i just hold People who do that, as I hold our law enforcement, as I hold our, you know, living where I live, I get to see uh, our, our Coast Guard in action, mostly when they fly by. Um, but, you know, the people who do those things, um, I would include firefighters. Um, you know, I have dear friends who are firefighters. We recently had TJ Welch on the podcast, and he's one of the leading. Um, he was one of the few guys until, until he retired in Northern California that ran logistics for these gigantic fires. I don't know. You were nodding. Did you, did you hear that episode by chance? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, we talked about it a little bit on that episode. You might recall on how the law enforcement, excuse me, uh, the fire service and the military actually communicated and collaborated so they could share some best practices around the creation of the standards, um, that we have here, uh, in California and I assume the rest of the country, but, and TJ was on, I, I don't remember all the technical names of the committees, but I mean, he was on um, the committee that set the standards for training for how we're going to fight wildfires in California. And so, you know, he collaborated with uh, uh, with some of our military there. I have also had the opportunity to work in a business context uh, with many veterans. And um, I 
look, I'm sure there's bad in any bunch, but I don't remember uh, a veteran that I worked with who wasn't great, if not mind blowing. And um, there's a couple I work with right now and I'm just, you know, inspired by them and it, they turn out to be very good in business. <laughs> Well, and that's so, what I was. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not going to get me to shut up about you know why I respect and admire uh, our vets. Well, and, I, and that's one of the things that I think I was curious about. You know, we um, veterans once we leave the military, um, we do kind of uh, track our own, and 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 there are leaders in Silicon Valley who had served in the military either you know a short amount of time. Um, or even, uh, you know, a more, you know, half career, even full career. And, and I was curious if you had uh, come in contact with any veterans, um, you know, that it, it got into tech or in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, many, I'm working with one, uh, right now who's, um, a senior guy, uh, at a $15 billion market cap tech company. And, um, he was in, uh, intelligence. And he served in Afghanistan in the field. Um, and I mean, this, you know, there's of course many, many things he can't tell me, but some of the things he can tell me are just absolutely mind blowing. Um, and this guy is one of the smartest, most effective, uh, most clear communicators, thoughtful, uh, no BS, no political bullshit, no personal agendas kind of people you ever want to meet. I mean, a very impressive executive who uh, I think is going to have a, an outstanding career. And, you know, he, he left our military intelligence um, to come into the uh, enterprise technology world. And, uh, yeah, he has an amazing job right now. He's the um, uh, he's like the I don't know what his exact title is. Maybe I guess it's probably chief of staff um, to uh, the CEO of a company called Splunk. And I know that I know the CEO, Doug Merritt, he's been on the podcast. He's an incredible guy. And so I've gotten to know Rory through Doug. And, uh, you know, so that he's the guy that I sort of probably um, most, you know, recently, if you will, um, have worked with who has kind of had a, uh, a fascinating career in the military. See, and that's something that, uh, that, that a lot of veterans, I think, have to do is he went from intelligence and sure, you know, we're, we're, uh, coordinating, um, uh, meetings and stuff like that. But, uh, a lot of veterans, whether they serve for, you know, three or four years or 24 years, they have to reinvent themselves, yep. um, once they get out of the military. And, and that's, and that's, you've had to reinvent yourself several times, um, over the yes. course of your career. Uh, and, and I just, I, I really think that there's, um, definitely some things that, that you have seen that some veterans might be able to, to need to know, uh, coming out of the military. Well, awesome. I'm so glad you feel that way. I really, uh, there's no bigger compliment you could give me, Dwayne, that to say that me as a civilian, um, you know, is, is somebody that you think, uh, um, can, can make a difference for our vets and has something to say and, and talk with you about, you know, uh, up across these wide wide range of these topics. So, um, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. Yeah, no, and, uh, and, and I think that, uh, it, just a lot of the, I think when I first uh, started connecting with you it was actually on another podcast, um, and, uh, Joe Sanok's podcast. Oh, and it I just, love Joe Sanok. Some of the stuff just blew me right. away. And, and, you know, a lot of the things that, that you have to say, a lot of veterans come out and they, they think they have tunnel vision. Um, and they don't, um, they don't differentiate themselves. They don't niche down. They don't recognize what's, uh, uh, what's unique about them. 
right? I'm a, I'm a combat veteran. That's one thing of what I am. I'm also yeah. a mental health counselor. That's another yeah. thing. I also write and I have a podcast. So we, all four of those things by themselves are fairly common. But if yeah. you put all of them together. Not so common. <laughs> right. You know, it's, I got like four horns growing. I'm not a unicorn. I'm a, a quadricord, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, but this is a thing is, is for me. And I've seen the, the need to, you know, I don't need to be a mental health professional for everyone everywhere. I just need right. to work in my space and, and do what I'm doing. Well, and I think it's it's cool because um, I can only imagine being a vet and coming to a place where I felt like I wanted to talk to somebody professional about uh, where I was in life or, or challenges I might be having or dilemmas I might be facing, whatever it is. Uh, it ma- makes all the sense in the world that I would want to talk to another vet. It, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. You know, I went into counseling once in my life. And, uh, I asked my family doc, who's a woman, um, you know, is there somebody she, she could recommend? And I said to her, you know, Dr. Kathy, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want this to sound weird or whatever, but I kind of feel like I need to talk to a guy, you know? And sometimes, you know, you just want to talk to somebody who you think will have the best chance of sort of understanding your situation. Well, yeah, and, and and sometimes it doesn't work, right? You know, sometimes you want sure. to find somebody that's uh, that's different and unique, but whatever it takes to to sort of uh, uh, get over that hump, and 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 that's actually something I think that I've I've started to notice too is is you're getting more into um, you know being open about uh, the mental health stuff and and the need to change the way that we're talking about yes uh, mental health yes. You know, it's interesting because um, I'm on the spectrum for bipolar. So, you know, I've been diagnosed with five or seven of these things. The first one was dyslexia, and I have dyscalculia and this thing called executive function disorder and a little bipolar and, you know, all this. So I just put it all together and I just call it dysphoclia. But, you know, I think um, it's, it's so powerful that you're doing what you're doing because I got to believe, um, well, like you said, maybe sometimes speaking to somebody who is different is it is the right answer for you. I got to believe a lot of the time talking to somebody who has your background or a background similar to yours is important. And, you know, to your point on, um, talking about it more, you know, I am. And a dear friend of mine, uh, and I, I don't know if I have permission to bring him up, so I won't, but um, a younger man, uh, went through a very challenging situation last year. I'm hoping to have him on the podcast soon to talk about it. Um, anyway, without getting into the specifics, um, he came through it incredibly, you know, and he was hospitalized because of the the mental health breakdown he had. He was very suicidal. Um, and you know, it's nine months or so, maybe not even since that happened. And this young man has put his life together in the most extraordinary way. And um, it just inspired me to talk about it more. Um, And look, uh, I have had suicidal thoughts and I have, you know, felt terrible about myself for any number of reasons. And uh, I, on a fairly regular basis, say pretty, pretty shitty things to me about me in my head. Um, and, um, yeah, I just, I've been inspired by this young man. And so you're right. I am talking about it a little more, I guess, aren't I? (laughs) 
Well, and I, I, I mean, it, it definitely is something that's, that's coming out. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, my bias, right? You know, I'm listening to it with the mental health professionals here. Um, uh, but, but the conversation is changing and definitely the conversation is changing, uh, for veterans. But, uh, you know, it, you have been through some, uh, pretty significant challenges in your career, in your life. Um, you're, you're very, uh, open about, uh, you know, how things started in, in your educational career. Um, but <laughs> if you want to call it that <laughs> careers in for different reasons in different ways. Um, but, but you've overcome the challenges and you recognize that, that, you know, life slaps everybody in the face sometimes, uh, but veterans will experience that in a, in a very unique way. You've, you've talked to, you know, obviously commander divine and, and, uh, Christian Anschutz and understand, um, that it is a unique culture for veterans coming from one enclosed space and then coming out into this great big, what we call civilian, uh, world that, uh, yeah. that can be challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I look, of course, uh, uh, I don't have the direct experience, but I, I, I relate to that for sure. Um, I also very much relate to, um, feeling like for whatever reason, uh, the, the, the deck is stacked against you, whether it's some kind of a systematic thing or, um, just the, here's the distinction in my head. There are some people who, um, find their place in the world. And if you look, I think particularly at our education system, but, but a lot of the things that you hear in our world uh, about self-improvement or education or development of any kind or career options and planning or any, you know, anything sort of, whether it's personal development or career, uh, or even just life and happiness, there's a context behind some of it that is sort of about your job is to try shit and figure out where you fit. You know, so I, I, try singing and then the world tells me if I'm good or bad at that immediately. And, you know, and I try athletics and I try science and math and, you know, as a child and you do all this stuff and we play and all these things. Right. And then, and then when we connect with something, then it becomes part of our identity. Uh, so to your point, you're a podcaster, that's an identity. You're, you're a vet, that's part of your identity. Um, and so as you go on that path of kind of constructing yourself, designing yourself, the context behind a lot of it, if you unpack it, is what you're doing is finding your place in the world. Oh, some people like pickles. I hate them. I'm, you know, I'm not a pickle guy. Right. And so every single thing is like, where do I fit? Where do I not fit? Am I like this? Am I like that? And of course, of course, that's true. Um, for all of us, but there's a very big but here. And this may be another reason I, I, you know, connect to some vets. Um, there are some of us who, while we may be able to find certain places in the big sense of the context, um, there is no place for us. And so we have to make a place versus find a place because when you find a place that means there's a place already but um if you don't fit if you're that you know square peg in the round hole then you have to make a place and so for example what you are right well in any of those four or five domains writer counselor etc cetera, etc cetera, 
um, you were able to find places. And there's a track. When I say, hey, I want to become a counselor, there's a track you can get on and you can fit into that world or not fit into the world, that world. And that's true of being a vet and it's true of being a podcaster and it's true of being a writer. But to your point, when you put them all together, well, now you're a new thing. <laughs> and so the, I think the way I think about it anyway is um, it's much easier if you can find your place. And if you can, God bless you. I, this, I have no value judgment associated with any of this. Um, and then what I do know is I think for people who, for the most part, find their place, my wife is like this. She found her place. And she's an incredibly unique human being. Um, and so there's a level of pain and suffering I've had in my life that she's never had in her life because I there was no place for me. And that feeling of misfit, that feeling of outcast, that feeling of, um, you, you know, not belonging or um, being afraid that people will find certain things out about you. You know, I was always afraid as a kid as, of being found out for being stupid because I couldn't spell my last name and stuff. And and I was also confused because I knew I wasn't, I knew I could see things and, and, and think about things and had skills that other people didn't have. But at the same time, you know, where the fucking, I can't find my keys, right? Like I'm just so useless. It's so much. <laughs> and so anyway, I guess that's a long, long way of sort of unpacking it. But the reality is, um, for those of us who have to make our place, I don't think there's a lot of, um, places to go. I think there's a lot of good books. I think there's a lot of good podcasts. I think, you know, the, and, and we can learn a lot of things. But most of it, I think, sits more in the context of helping people find their place than helping people make their place. And so um, I, th I guess the thing I connect to in that regard specifically to bring it back to vets is I, I got to believe when you come out of the military and therefore, by definition, you're a veteran, um, there's got to be at least some element of making a place because now you're identified by what you were and are no longer. And that's a weird thing because the vast majority of us are identified by who we are now. Uh, I went through this period and I don't think it was anywhere near as meaningfully for me personally uh, uh, from an identity perspective. But I had the same thing when I stopped, when I retired from being an entrepreneur and a CMO, I was a former entrepreneur and CMO. <laughs> and, and I got introduced that way. And, you know, like that was, and that's a weird thing. And today I get introduced, um, as a, uh, as a podcaster and, a, and an author. And so anyway, I guess long way of saying it's gotta be a challenge to have this badge, which is truly a badge of honor, but at the same time, it's for, um, something you did in the past. And so I got to believe all of that and probably others, uh, mean some, some meaningful percentage of, of vets, um, feel like they're, they're having, having to make a place because they're, they're in a sort of unique situation. Um, and, and one, you know, per our earlier conversation that most people can't really relate to. No, I think that's entirely accurate, but then even more for many veterans, 
they did find their place in the world. They felt that the military was their place, and now they're no longer to be in the place which was yeah. their place, right? This is, uh, um, you know, I spent 22 years in the Army. Um, once I left, I was no longer allowed to be a soldier, right? I'm, I'm not a soldier anymore, and I'm not a civilian. I'm this entirely third thing, which is a hybrid of the two, which is veteran, you know, and whether yeah. I wear the hat with the patches and all this other stuff and, and everything yeah. that veteran means and, and what people think of that. And, and, and as you've even said before, words have meaning, but veterans did have my identity was wrapped up in my career and, and it very yeah. much was a profession. And so they, not only do they have to deal with making their place in a world, many veterans don't want to, they wish they were back there. Yeah. And I, I understand that I can relate to that for sure. The other thing is you were talking to me and I was thinking it's also young years, right? Most vets are not, most don't enlist at age 40, right? They enlisted 18 or 22 or, you know, some pretty, would you know by chance, um, is there an average that's, uh, uh, known for how old somebody is when they enlist? The majority, I was actually a, a recruiter for three years, uh, and the majority of everyone is lower than 25, you know, so 18 yeah. to 25. You know, they like to get us young while our brains aren't fully formed, so we can't say no uh, to stuff. But yeah, no, it, it generally, it's it's very rare to have someone join the military in their late 20s or 30s. Yeah. And so just, I think that just underscores how much more potent what you said previous was uh, to that, because it's formative years. You know, th not that um, from 40 to 50 aren't formative years, and I'm sure, you know, 70 to 80, you know, those are, I'm sure, formative years. But we all know because we were there when you're 20, you know, 20 to 30 has an impact uh, on you uh, the way uh, I don't think, let's say, 40 to 50 has. And so it's just a meaningful time in somebody's life. Uh, and particularly from the formation of an identity and a creation of a self, we're, we're, we're still figuring out and designing who we are and not that we ever stop, of course, but man, those are big years. Right. And there has to be that radical shift, um, in recreating ourselves. Um, you know, I had, uh, one of my leaders, he was an outstanding, uh, a squad leader, section sergeant. Uh, he had served for 10 years. Um, he was in on the invasion of Afghanistan. So he was with the unit when they first went to Afghanistan. Um, he was in on the invasion of Iraq because he moved to that unit. Then he was with us in the surge in Iraq. And then he was with us in the surge in Afghanistan. And so for, for that 10 year block, he was at, you know, the, the place of history for all of those. And at 10 years, he was like, I got to tap out. I've, I've done right. You know, yeah. marriage spent and, and all these other things. And it's not cliche because it really does happen. Um, but his formative years were, were formed by, by combat. And then he had to go, we, when we leave the military, have to reinvent ourselves. And I see a lot of veterans that don't do that, right? They, they think they have to find their place in the world, but they don't realize that there is no place in the world for them. Yes. And, and it, and it's, you know, um, it doesn't connect for veterans. Yeah. And, you know, just to underscore it even more, just for fun, uh, we mentioned briefly, I had to, immense um, privilege, honor, uh, joy of both meeting and interviewing on stage at a corporate event uh, several years ago now, General Colin Powell. And um, 
in the communication with his PR firm, you know, there was some questions that we had and we sort of the format and how we we're going to do it. He spoke for about 20 minutes and then I interviewed him for about 20 minutes. By the way, if you ever get a chance to see him speak, wow, no notes, no slides. And he has this wonderful way of telling stories about things and then sort of bringing the conclusions. Uh, and so he, he teaches like all great teachers through storytelling. Um, and, uh, he'll absolutely bring a tear to your eye. Um, anyway, in the preparation to meet him, uh, one of the questions we had, of course, is how should we address him? And as I'm sure you know, um, most people in his line of work, um, are forever addressed with the highest title they ever held. So that's why we call, you know, President Carter, President Carter, right? And President Bush, President Bush, even though, of course, they're no longer the acting president, the current president. And so uh, if you think about it that way, uh, I, I, I would have imagined you would address him as Secretary Powell. And um, his, um, his PR firm made it very clear Please, if you're going to address him, he would prefer you address him as General Powell. And he most identifies with being a soldier. He joined the infantry. Secretary Powell, <laughs> and excuse me, General Powell, joined the infantry, right? And uh, he's, an in he's a, a frontline infantry warrior from New York. That's who the guy is. And um, and of course, he held one of the three or four highest offices in 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 our world or in our country. Yeah. And he so still, that, it just yeah. underscores how much the identity is right. always there. Right. You know, and, and, you know, I'd imagine General Powell had a pretty nice transition compared to some other veterans who who might be leaving yeah. the service. Uh, but even then, I mean, and, and arguably not. I've actually had uh, a, another general on, on my show, General Don Bolduck, and he's a one-star general, and he talks about the challenges that he had leaving the military after a 30-something a, a year career. Um, and it yes. happens to, you know, the, the lowest ranking to the highest ranking. And it's this idea of how does someone, when you say that someone needs to make their own place in the world, well, well, you have from 18 to 30 to be able to do that when you catch your stride. But when somebody gets out at 30 or 42, um, you know, as I was, um, and then you feel like, or many veterans feel like they're behind the power curve. Yeah. Well, and in, in some ways you are, you know, in compared to somebody who's had a normal, normal, a more typical uh, education and then, um, career work kind of trajectory. Um, however, I really believe, and this is one of the reasons I, I, I love Christian Anschutz and his mission so much by way of example, um, trying to connect veterans with, with business leaders, uh, to create opportunities for veterans, um, that maybe wouldn't have existed otherwise through, through these leadership experiences. But anyway, um, I, I just think that um, you also do have a set of uh, – remember that – remember Napoleon Dynamite, that movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a scene, and I'm not going to get the exact words right, where the two boys are in school and they're sort of wondering why they can't get anywhere with girls. And um, Napoleon Dynamite says this to his buddy. He says, women like men with skills – we need to get some skills. 
<laughs> he had skills. <laughs> Different skills. The dancing skills were there. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, vets have incredible skills that yeah. are applicable um, you know, in lots of different fields, I think. Right. In in but I don't know that they know that they have the skills that their skills apply to something that isn't military, right? That's not something maybe that we're taught as we're leaving the military. You know, and this is something really that uh, that 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 you and Sebastian Younger touched on was uh, there's not a lot of preparation once someone leaves the military. Yes. Um I was in logistics when I was in I was not a mental health professional for 22 years. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a licensed uh, mental health professional. For many people when I left the military, they said you should go be a fleet manager somewhere. You should go run a right. warehouse somewhere. You should go some veterans, I, I myself experienced this. We were told, here is your place in this new world. Right. And um, and I think a lot of veterans don't realize they have to make their place because they're not going to fit into that new place because they don't realize that the skills that they have apply to this new unknown land. Yes. And this is why, I mean, amongst many other um, reasons, I'm so impressed with uh, uh, and enjoy speaking with um, General McChrystal, or as he insists, I call him Stan, <laughs> which is very hard because I really want to call him General McChrystal. But I get it. Uh, it's this identity thing, I think. And if you look at what he's done, he and his partner, uh, former Navy SEAL Chris Fussell, who I've also had the, the pleasure of, of having on it. You know what? You remind me, I, I want to email Fussell and see if he'll come back on. I, he, you know, he's the kind of guy, he and Stan, I'd love to have him on every year if they'll let me. But uh, after um, Stan came back, I thought, you know, I really enjoyed um, Chris Fussell. And so um, hoping he can come back. But anyway, the two of them uh, co-founded, and there may be others, but uh, those are the two I know, this McChrystal Group company. And they do leadership training. And they do, they write these amazing books. They have a handful of books that have come out. Um, and they do uh, leadership programs and speaking and thought leadership and all this stuff. And I, I forget the exact tagline on their website, Dwayne, but it's something about, you know, from, from, from the battlefield, strategies that work from the battlefield to the boardroom or something along those kinds of lines. And so here are these two highly accomplished vets with, to your point, deeply, deeply uh, in their their psyche and their identity is deeply entwined with their service to the country, and now hey, they're entrepreneurs and shit, and they're and they're working in business and they're applying things they learn to all sorts of different contexts that are non-military. And so, look, who am I to say? Because of course I'm not a vet, but I look at that just as a human being around this notion of the ability to design your life any way you want including making a material change in even parts of your identity uh, and being very deliberate, um, very proactive about that and, and then succeeding on that kind of scale. And, and shit, I, if that doesn't make you inspired and impressed, I don't know what will. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and I think that, that this is a big thing that many veterans are, are emerging into the entrepreneur space. Um, we hear a lot. I, as a, a veteran and, and even working with, with transitioning veterans, most veterans, I myself, I stayed about 18 months in the first job that I had when I retired and then I transitioned on, that veterans aren't staying 
in the first place that they land when they get out of the military. They they get in some place because they think maybe this is the place I found. Then they say, no, this isn't it. And then they move on. Um, but this idea, and, and you've mentioned it several times, that this is going to be the least entrepreneurial generation. But we see veterans as supremely entrepreneurial. Yeah, look, I don't have any data. So you you would know a lot more about this than I would. My experience um in the world and my my conversations every is this a true statement it may not be 100 percent true but it's, it's close that uh let me say it this way the vast majority of the veterans i've had on my podcast are entrepreneurs um you mentioned commander divine well commander divine's an entrepreneur he has a physical fitness training business and uh, he's an author and a speaker. He, he like us, is a podcaster. Great podcast. Absolutely. But military or not, uh, Mark Devine's podcast, Unbeatable Mind, A-plus podcast. Um, and so, um, you know, it's clear these folks are being very, very successful. And it's cool. And, hey, listen, uh, you'll tell me if, if, if there's some um, – if there's any negativity that, that veterans experience because maybe there is. But I, I would think that being known as a, a military or, excuse me, a vet business, a vet-owned business, if you're a small entrepreneur, if you're the vet-owned pizza parlor in, you know, Kuala Lala Ding Dong, that's cool. Because, like, it's like, hey, well, if if the pizza's pretty good and, and it's sort of a bit of a toss-up, hey, let's go eat at the veteran pizza parlor. <laughs> no, and, and definitely, and, and I think this goes into not just not just individual identity, but collective identity, right? You know, um, I, I guarantee you that if there is a local pizza parlor from, you know, uh, John Smith and then, uh, you know, vet pizza or whatever, I as a veteran, I'm going to go to the vet pizza unless it's crap and then I'm going to tell yeah. them about it, right? You know, but, but veterans – Again, this goes back to um, not being in that place we were. We want that connection with other veterans. And so veterans are more likely to work or, or you know, uh, frequent those organizations that are veteran-owned or veteran-specific or things like that. Um, you know, and, and there is that people appreciate veterans from afar. This is something, especially when I see um, with, uh, with mental health, right? You know, you want to go to the movies and you want to watch Chris Kyle's story up on the big screen, but when it comes to the barbecue and I'm telling that same story sitting next to you, you're, you're a little, uh, you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to talk to this guy. And so huh. a lot of people who had never served, they want to appreciate veterans from afar. And there is that, that ability to support. But then when it talks to, let me talk, let me tell you what it's really like to be on the side of a mountain in Afghanistan. Let me tell you what it's really like to be, you know, in the streets of Bakuba or, or Ramadi or, or Baghdad, those who have never served sort of want to keep that at arm's length. Yeah. I never understood that. Right. Whether it's, whether it's that or anything else that is sort of, um, get, getting right to the heart of it. Like, let's not bullshit ourselves about what's going on. Right. We have a military because we go to war, right? That's what happens. My grandfather, Jack, uh, was a vet. He served. Uh, he served um, in World War II for the United Kingdom, Scottish, right? Scotland, um, and and so 
as a little boy, I used to say to him, Granddad, you know, tell me about World War II. I can remember being maybe four, five, and my whole life with him until he died. Um, I wanted to hear the stories. And he didn't end up seeing combat. He ended up in the Navy and um, being in logistics and supplies, as, as, as particularly as the supply lines opened up from North America. Because, of course, in the beginning, the United States uh, was not supporting the war. Um, but anyway, um, I wanted to hear all those stories and, and the stories of the friends that he lost and why he and my grandmother decided not to get married because if something happened to him and on and on and on. Right. Um, and so why wouldn't you get into it? Um, it's like anything else, right? We, we had TJ Welsh on the podcast. I mentioned him earlier. Um, an extraordinary, uh, chief in our fire service service who was part of the team that, that kind of wrote the best practices and procedures for, uh, how wildfires get dealt with. And, you know, um, you want to get into it with them. Like, Hey, TJ, what happens in a wildfire? You know, he told me something by way of example. The flames can be 200 feet above the trees. Holy shit. And TJ and his, his logistics team um, could put up a functioning city for 5,000 firefighters in about eight hours. And in a few hours, he can have basic supplies uh, the supply lines in and, you know, what did he, I think he said, like boxed sand or, or, you know, sort of, um, what are those military, those military emergency meals, you guys, what do you call those things oh, again? The, uh, the MREs, the MREs. Yeah. Or, the or preppers. It's a, yeah. Mr. E. That's what we call them is Mr. Mr. E. Mr. E. Since you don't know what you're going to grab once you open it up. You know, and so he's talking about in a couple hours we get that. And then a couple hours later you can get a box lunch. And by the eighth hour we're serving you steak. You know, he builds a city. Well, why wouldn't you want to get into a conversation? You know, so I, I don't understand why people shy away from, from getting into it with veterans. You know, I, I think it may be in of course, a, a lot of us have that uh, that natural curiosity. We want to hear that. And, and veterans, this is something that I've seen as a mental health professional. We want to tell our stories. We want people to understand what we experienced and then there's a paradox of we're not going to, we don't know how to tell it. And, and we, you know, we're afraid what will happen when we do actually share it. But then I think there's another group of people that don't know when it, they don't want to know where their steak comes from. Don't tell me about yeah, the right. picture, right? Don't, don't tell me which part of the cow is. I just, you know, I don't want to see what's behind the scenes. Just give me the steak and I'll be perfectly happy. And so I, I think that's really sort of the difference. That's right. And I think that's total bullshit. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, the, you know, the other veteran I, I, I just was thinking about as you were talking that's been on my podcast, who I think is absolutely amazing, and I'm happy to introduce you to him. I can't guarantee you'd do it, but I, I bet you he'd come on. I know you guys would like each other a lot. Is this um, is Matt Kubler. He also served in the Army, and um, he he's an amazing career police officer. Um, uh, he um, was in the first batch of air marshals hired and trained and deployed after 9-11. And, um, and now he's an author and a speaker 
and uh, he tells an amazing story about about um, the death of his um, of his brother and what that has meant to him. Uh, he's 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 a guy who speaks openly about um, you know mental health. Uh, he's a fascinating, fascinating man, and he's one of these guys. As corny as it sounds, when you talk to Matt Kubler, you just think, "I am so proud that that guy is in this country. That I get to be in a country with this guy. <laughs> he, that guy, makes the United States of America a better place. Period. Full stop. End of discussion." <laughs> Right. And, and I think that's uh, and, and you were able to connect with him and get to know him personally and have that conversation with him. And this is, again, and, and even go more meta than that, just this medium of now many people know about him and his experiences. Um, but but that's what veterans want to be able to do. It's not that we want to be seen as these these mythic heroes instead, because we're just as human as everybody else. Right. You know, I screwed up five different times today. Um, it, it's not like we're, you know, it, we're none of us Captain America, um, and, and none of us try to portray that we're Captain America, but then when somebody maybe perhaps dismisses our, our, our service or, or doesn't want to hear said, Hey, that's in the past. You got to get over it. That stings a little bit too. Yeah, I think that's bullshit. The other one that I think is really bullshit is, um, you know. I disagreed with X that the United States was doing in Afghanistan, in Korea, or whatever, whatever it is. Of course, Vietnam, and or anything that's happening in present day. I don't like what we are doing in Syria. I don't like what we're not doing in Syria. I don't. Whatever the fuck it is, right? And and then so there's a criticism that goes to our military because a person's politics or beliefs. Uh, and and maybe for very good reason on their part, they're not trying to be bad people, but they say, oh, I disagreed with us doing X military thing. And therefore, there's a disrespect to the military. And that to me is the most giant piece of intergalactic bullshit. Because you don't even understand how the country uh, is constructed. The military, by definition, on purpose, for very good reason, doesn't decide what it does. Because <laughs> that's how you get tyranny, my friends. <laughs> right? And so our military serves a civilian government. And that civilian government makes choices. That civilian government is elected by the people with whatever flaws you might think we have in our system. And clearly we have some. But that's neither here nor there. That's our system. And so we elect our officials and those officials, the president and everyone else, she or he appoints and um, and members of Congress and so on and so on. Um, they decide that we're going to do X in Afghanistan and Y in Iraq or not or and we're going to have this many troops in Korea or whatever it is. And so you might disagree with the action and you might th think that's for very good reason and maybe it is. But we had civilian uh, volunteers turn themselves into our military to serve our country. And so you can disagree with the, the action, but there, you can't disagree with the service. No, you absolutely. have to honor the service. And that's one of the things, and again, you mentioned Vietnam and, and, and really the Korean war and the Gulf war, um, the first Gulf war, the Persian Gulf war, I really feel like that forgotten war in between the two big ones, world war two, then Vietnam, then, then the current conflicts. 
Um, but you're right. I didn't choose to be sent to Bosnia. I served under President Clinton. He sent me to Bosnia. Some people got shot at. I served under President Bush. He sent me to Iraq. I got shot at. I served under President Obama. He sent me to Afghanistan. At least under President Trump, knock on wood, I'm not being sent anywhere to get shot at, right? You know, it's like, I've done well, that. he still piece. has some time. <laughs> it's a, my war is over. Yeah, it's definitely not going to happen. But, but that's, but that's the thing is, is it wasn't that, you know, I chose in the, you know, in the way of me choosing to stay in the military, but I don't recall anything about the Affordable Care Act debate because I was in Afghanistan at the time. I wasn't worrying about right. any of that. You know, I think we were trying to figure out who was, you know, Super Bowl and, and the, the, you know, bowl championships. That was what we were more concerned with, you know, and staying alive and doing our jobs and all these other things. So there's an entire chunk of what most people think of, you know, a, a, a big legislative thing in the last 15, 20 years. I have no recollection of because all of that debate was happening and I wasn't here. You were busy. I was, <laughs> I was a little busy. Right. And, and so, in, and that's exactly right is, and then veterans will come out of that. And we're, and not again, the Vietnam veterans weren't coming back saying, Hey, you know, throw me a parade like you did, like the World War II guys, but also don't make me hide for 15 years until the mid eighties. And, yeah. and that's what I think I see for a lot of veterans, um, coming out now that there's a mix of that. You know, some of us are, you know, celebrated and revered and, and, and yes, you know, championed. Um, some of us are simply forgotten, right? They move back to a hometown where there's not a lot of their other veterans. Um, you, you talked to Eddie and Bennett and, and, uh, on the change your POV podcast. I sure did. That was a riot. <laughs> it was pretty fun. <laughs> I will never forget it. It was fun. <laughs> but Eddie said that he moved back to New Hampshire. There were no veterans. He, he moved back to no veterans whatsoever. He, he pretended not to be a veteran or there was no identity of a veteran for years. Yeah. Um, and then there are some veterans that are dismissed or reviled or, you know, get that crazy combat vet away from me. I'm, I'm okay, you know, with a, a red ribbon or a yellow ribbon on the, the car. But if you have a veteran sitting next to me in the cubicle, I'm a little nervous about they that. They might just go mental on you. He might have killed somebody, right? You know, and, and so I actually, and, and another friend of ours, um, he actually, he was, uh, he was an SF guy. And he was making a joke and he, he was talking about killing somebody with kindness. And then he walked out of the room and like his coworkers had like a 20 minute conversation. Should we report that? Is he like, did he just make a threat? Can he yeah, actually right. kill someone? You know, I mean, and, and he was like, it was totally asinine and it was an offhand right. comment, but because they knew who he was and what he did, he was in the military. It's, it's simply another form of discrimination. And that's a lot of the challenges that a lot of veterans are experiencing. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, um, and the other thing Christian Anschutz had explained to me that I, I, I really didn't appreciate, uh, was the fact that on one hand, of course, the public, um, being much more aware today than ever before about things like PTSD and, and veterans mental health and, and PTSD, not just for veterans, but of course, PTSD, PTSD can happen for p people for uh, all sorts of different reasons. Um, but he said the downside to it in the context of vets is exactly to your point, some interpretation of, is this person crazy or is this person, you know, have they killed somebody? Why are they weird? What are, you know, all this sort of stuff, um, has a has a unintended consequence um and look, I, look one of my best friends 
Um, a guy I really, really feel like as a brother, as a vet. And uh, we trained martial arts together. And um, he was an army ranger. And so an elite warrior, right? An elite, I mean, I don't know, you tell me. what Army ranger? Um, a little bit below. I mean, uh, there's the uh, the special forces. Of course, we have our tier one guys, but uh, they are in the upper echelon, yeah. Yeah, and so um, it, 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 he didn't. Um, he's uh, he's my age, fifty, and he didn't start driving again uh, until a couple of years ago because uh, his Jeep blew up and uh, he lost a couple buddies and he was severely injured and uh, he just didn't feel comfortable driving a car for for many many years and then he got to a place where um, you know he was ready. He he had to the point. But to the discussion we had earlier, Dwayne, around sort of finding and making, he did he did his combination of that. I think in his case, more making. But regardless, he had gotten to a place where he felt good in his life, and his life was working, and he had friends, and you know, a spectacular gal, and his son, and you know, so he got to that place where he he I guess felt comfortable again, and and was willing to start driving. Um, but, you know, that kind of an adjustment is an amazing thing to watch somebody go through. And it doesn't make him crazy, right? I mean, it doesn't make, no. you know, it's it's not, it, that's what everybody's like, oh. He's no crazier than I am. Right. I got you a know. lot of crazy. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, none of us is going to get out of out of this uh, this game unscathed, right? You know, and and it's just that the, the veterans have a different experience, a, a different cultural experience, essentially. Um, and you know, so I don't like helicopters flying overhead in the middle of the night with, you know, I mean, it's just because I had experience. That might be, that might be something that would, (laughs) you would prefer not happen, huh? No, especially in, in the ravines and, and pine trees and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't stand full moon and I can't stand, um, cornfields because when we were in Afghanistan and we were, uh, establishing or we were, uh, escorting, uh, supplies, they would attack us when the full moon was highest and they would use the cornfields as cover, right? You wouldn't think that a full moon, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's a beautiful moon or, oh, you know, I can't stop. I, I don't drive through Kansas at night. It just doesn't happen. It's not, <laughs> you know, it, it, but, but that doesn't make me crazy any more than it makes your friend crazy. It's that the unique experiences that we had um, it changed us. But a lot of veterans, yeah. they've internalized that crazy. Even going back to what you say is you say the mean stuff about yourself Veterans internalize that, well, I must be crazy, and they keep it to themselves, and that's yeah. a block for them. Yeah. Yeah, you got to get that shit out. That's why I like to box. <laughs> <laughs> it's some way, some way, shape, or form, right? I mean, and, and uh, you know, again, this is, uh, you know, we, we talk about, I write, right? You know, that's another thing that, that, you know, even if it didn't go anywhere, I would still continue to write. Uh, it, just because that is my thing. I, I talked to to veteran today. He goes to the range, right? He, he goes and he fires his weapons, not because he's yeah. trying to relive former glory, but that's his thing. Or, you know, because we, we have to let these things out in some way um, and, yes. and hopefully in a healthy way, because if it doesn't, it's going to manifest itself in an unhealthy way. And, uh, and, and we don't need any more veterans in that place. Yeah, no, it's got to come out, man. It's got to come out. There's this great line from an old Jay Giles song where Peter Wolf sings. People sometimes ask me why I scream and I shout. I say it's in there. It's got to come out. It's got to come out. (laughs) It's got to come out however you want it to. And actually, you know, 
This is, I think, uh, all kidding aside, an incredibly important topic because um, we have these primordial needs. And if we don't acknowledge them and we don't take responsibility for them, uh, and we don't channel them in positive ways, then bad things happen. You know, I, I like to joke that anger is my happy place. Like I, I, I have anger. I relate to anger. I get motivated by anger. Um, and you can tell me all you want, and you're the mental health professional, so maybe you will. That you know, I shouldn't have anger. Well, I should, but I, I do. I'm an angry person, but I also don't walk around. You know growling at the world all the time i don't behave angry angry very often and the reason for that is i channel that shit mm-hmm. right i go surf i have to do physical things i go surfing or uh you know i go train or uh, and also creative outlets i think help as well you know so i think writing and podcasting help but in a different way but anyway my point is we have to take responsibility for those primal drives that we have and 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 channel them into very good very responsible uh, very healthy places and 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 in ways no and that's that's absolutely right and and there was probably a point in which you became aware of the fact i would imagine that you learned how to channel it because anger wasn't so channeled in your past and it kind of got in your way sometimes yeah, and listen, it. it uh, I think like anybody who, anyone else I know who uh, anger is part of where they come from, um, it's gotten me in a lot of trouble. Yes. People don't want to be around some angry bastard, somebody barking at them, somebody who's going to quote unquote fly off the handle, you know? Um, and yeah, I could fly off the handle. <laughs> we, had, we had an old buddy of mine on the podcast recently, a guy named Dennis O'Malley. And Dennis is the CEO of uh, the largest integrated um, cannabis um, business in, in California called um, Kaliva. And he used to uh, sell to me. Um, he was a sales executive at a technology research firm called Gartner. And we bought a lot of Gartner shit when I was I a CMO. I thought you were going to say he used to sell to you. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's like, and actually, he still owes me a tour of his place, and I was hoping he might send me home with some Scooby snacks, but that has not happened yet. <laughs> um, but anyway, he comes on the podcast. Long story, way longer. And um, you know, he made some comment about how much of a hard ass I used to be when I was an executive. And I said, "Come on, was I really that bad?" And he was like, "Oh, are you fucking kidding me? It's like you were terrible. We'd bring new young people in, and sometimes you'd rip them." <laughs> Oh, okay. You know, so, um, yeah, you, you try to, uh, you try to manage that over time and you realize, of course, that, uh, you know, maybe there are some true occasions where you need to use it. Um, but they're few and far between really. (laughs) And some people would argue it's never a good idea. (laughs) I think every once in a while reminding people, Hey, I'm a little nuts and I know how to fuck you up. Is is it, <laughs> it can be helpful, but um, uh, in general, it doesn't get you very far in life, does it, Dwayne? <laughs> not in a, not in a constant, it, and it does. It generally gets in the way, and until that awareness comes to you, whether it comes to you or somebody says, "Oh, by the way, we used to use you as a rite of passage for our new interns," um, <laughs> you know. But 
But that's another thing that veterans need to have, especially when they leave the service, is that awareness that um, <laughs> what worked in the uh, motor pool, what worked in the squad room doesn't necessarily work in the boardroom. Um, and, and I do need to change some of that. And, and to be honest, aggression, anger, all that stuff kept us alive in combat. That was, it was, right. it was protective in combat. And the same thing when it comes to, you know, you can't be a laid back firefighter, right? And if you're in a highly, you know, if, if you're on a SWAT team and it's a highly charged situation, you're not going to just, you know, uh, be easy about it. Um, no. but it's a matter of, of how do you channel that? And, uh, no, I think that's, uh, that's another great point. Yeah. Yeah. And I see it. Um, you know, I have I have a buddy um, who's a special ops cop. And I don't know what the technical term for his um, his outfit is, but essentially they do um, uh, strategic apprehensions is really their primary focus. Uh, they will do hostage, that kind of stuff and and collaborate with SWAT. But most of what he does is um, you're the detective. You figure out I'm the psycho killer that you've been looking for. It's not, of course, like it, it looks on TV where the detective runs in and chases down the psycho killer. Um, in this case, they get a warrant and his his team will monitor me for whatever period of time and um, come up with a plan for how they think they can take me down safely and, uh, and then go execute that plan. And, um, you know... That's a heavy job, man. He deals with our worst people on their worst day, every day. And so, yeah, you got to be able to, um, you, you know, if we're having a conversation about channeling it, he's got to have that aggression, but he's got to have that empathy. And, and uh, that's a very hard thing. And then you got to come home. And not go nuts. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, and that's a, that's a big thing. And, the, and that's the learning how to make that shift and, and knowing when, you know, uh, time is time and when enough is enough. Um, and, and I think that's, it's really important for veterans. You, you said it earlier, um, when you were talking about sort of this, this PTSD, everybody thinks that a veteran has PTSD. Not every veteran that I see has PTSD because not every veteran has PTSD. Nearly 100% of the veterans I talk to in my therapy practice are dealing with some form of, I, I need meaning and purpose in my life. I need to find that place in my life. I need to find something to do that satisfies me as much as what I used to do satisfies me. That, I think, is much more of the dilemma in, in creating, and, it, and that goes back to that creating that space. You know, I find that I have as much, if not more, meaning and purpose in my life now with all of the things that I'm doing than I even did when I was in the military because of creating a space rather than just saying, hey, go run a, a, a warehouse for Walmart for a while. It's so interesting you say that. Uh, I love how um, the universe connects things all the time. So just before we started today, Dwayne, I had gotten a text from a dear buddy of mine who's a, a very, very talented CEO and r running a, um, uh, I just think, a wonderful technology company. Anyway, he says, uh, question, after all your writing and podcasts, if you had to come up with some bullet points on what makes a person uh, legendary, what would those be? And I, I made a conscious decision to not think too hard and to just sort of just sort of type back what what 
came out immediately, just sort of the blink kind of idea as opposed to because I thought if I overthink it, I have to think of it. And it. So anyway, I just decided to kind of blink it. And what came out was, one, someone who makes a difference slash produces results. Two, someone on a mission bigger than them. And I'll give you the others if you like. Three, great at relationships. Four, fun and funny. Five, honorable. And six, tough. So I'd say that veterans are five out of those six. The great at relationships, I don't know about that. That might be a little, you know, with the, you know, but, uh, but no, you're, you're, I mean, in this, this mission bigger than themselves. That, and again, it goes back to what, uh, Sebastian Younger said in his book of, of just having that connection. And this is, you know, for veterans finding that place, finding me. I've even talked to veterans who were successful, you know, opened up a, or started working for State Farm and now they're in charge of the office and he's got great nine to five. And he's like, but, but there's still something missing. And it, and it is that working for something bigger than yourself. And that's, and that's why I wanted to bring you on the show is, is you intuitively know that. And veterans, I think, need to hear that from as many different places as possible. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um, you know, let me share something with you. This is maybe a little overly personal, but it, it, it's it's in my mind. So um, a couple of weeks back, I sort of had a, a, you know, my bipolar got the better of me and I was feeling pretty shitty. And, um, and then over the last uh, weekend, I just had the, the most magical set of things go down. You can imagine, I could tell you about them if you like, but I, had, I, I, I just finished a four day run, so to speak of kind of nonstop legendary, um, professionally and personally and, you know, w- with my friends and my wife and, and I've just had a magical four days and, um, uh, I gave a couple of speeches and did a book signing and, um, did some great work with the company. Anyway, as I was flying home this morning, the thought in my head, Dwayne, was, well, it's really good I didn't kill myself a couple of weeks ago, isn't it? Because I would have missed out on a pretty great four days here. And I, I wasn't going to kill myself. But um, I, I guess I, I, I share that with you because my experience is um, being somebody who can go to a dark place, the best way to get my ass out of that dark place is to get out in the world and be about something bigger than me. That's the thing that's going to snap me out of it. Um, and you know, when you go and give a talk like I gave, um, yesterday and at the end of that talk, you know, 400 people stand up and they don't stop clapping for, for what feels like a very long period of time. You know, that, that's an amazing thing. And then I got home today and my wife hands me this card and a group of young entrepreneurs who I know, but not well, who I don't remember doing anything specific with, although maybe I gave them a coaching session at some point, but I don't remember sent me the most wonderful card and telling me about what's going on in their business and how great they're doing and that they've built their category and they're 
they're executing a lightning strike and that the consumption of my books and podcast, they just wanted me to know what big difference all that stuff was making for them. And, and the, the four entrepreneurs signed the card together. And at the end of it, they sort of said something like, you know, you, you'll never know what kind of an impact you're making to so many people. And so again, I just had this thought, well, man, it's really good. I didn't kill myself, isn't it? <laughs> and, it and it is, and it's being in that dark place. And there's a lot of veterans who will isolate themselves. And, and, and I really appreciate, like you said, a very personal story, a very real story. And it's something that a lot of veterans uh, can relate to. It's something that I can relate to. You know, I mean, life is not all uh, wine and roses, but being in that dark place and then knowing that, you know, and whatever the cliche is, but you had a pretty outstanding time not that long after you had a pretty crappy time. Yeah. And in in that phrase of, of you'll never know the impact that you're making, I think that we could say that to every veteran. Of course, you'll never know the impact you made. I mean, look, I think people who are – this is about – circle back to the conversation about people don't want to know about their meat or whatever, right? Um, don't be confused. We are a sovereign nation because of our military. End of discussion. Don't be confused for one fucking second. This country has enemies, real enemies, who want to do us harm and who think about how to do us harm all the time and who do things in an attempted way to do us harm every fucking day. And there's a bunch of them. That's that's absolutely if you don't understand that you're not paying attention. And so the only reason that a guy like me can go and build a career and have a life that I have in this country is because Dwayne France went and made sure that was going to be true for me and every other American. And, and like I said, I don't care if you agree or disagree with whatever military action. That is the universal truth. Don't be confused. We enjoy the life that we enjoy. We have the opportunity the opportunity in this country to design our life any fucking way we want. And the reason that's true is because Dwayne France joined the fucking military. That's why that's true. Well, I don't know if it was just me joining them. It's me and three, <laughs> well, you million, had some of, three million of my, my <laughs> closest friends. I just wanted to get out of my dad's basement, Chris. That's all it was. I just, <laughs> well, I, I hey, was, good. You know, it just it turned into something bigger, and that's that's what it is. Now, this has been great, Chris. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show um, again. Um, it's my show, so I can bring on whoever I want, right? Absolutely. And I have. Um, can I can I make a request of you? Well, absolutely. I would love to have you on my podcast. Well, now that it's not Legends and Losers and it's being the different one, then yeah, no, I just, I, I just, <laughs> I don't know if I would have fit in the first category, but I'd love to come on for the second category. Yeah, well, regardless of the name, I, I would have had you on under either name. I don't mean that had nothing to do with it, but um, you know, you and I have had some great conversations. Um, I think the connection, certainly, I f feel towards you is is such a great example of why podcasting is fucking awesome because you get to meet people who you might not, not otherwise have met and 
you get to decide together, hey, you know what? TV's not on. There's no one else in the room. Our phones are off. We're not checking email. We're not fucking surfing porn. We're none of that. We are looking at each other in the eye and having a real conversation about things we both care about. Right? That's an awesome thing that that podcasting gives us. And I'm a huge podcast consumer, listener. I'm a super consumer. And so I love the ability to experience it as much as a, as a consumer as I do a podcaster. Anyway, there's a long-winded way of saying, I think you and I have a really great time when we sit down for a conversation, and I'd love to do it again on my podcast. No, absolutely. I, I would love to. Um, my, uh, my schedule is, well, I would say that my schedule is not as busy as yours, but uh, I'm, I'm in Colorado. We don't have, uh, we don't have surf. Um, we got skis and, uh, snowboards. I love skiing. I love Colorado. Beautiful. I mean, you don't believe in God after you go to Colorado. (laughs) 22 years. This is the first place that uh, me and the family decided that we actually wanted to live the rest of our life. So yeah, no, this is great. So, uh, share out what, um, where can people find you online? Um, it's not like you're shy about, uh, hiding yourself, but, uh, uh, where can people, uh, get a hold of you? Yeah, the best place to track me down is at lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com. And everything else hangs off that, the books and the podcast and, you know, whatever other stuff. We'll <laughs> oh, make sure. A great, we, have a, we have a great blog uh, that's really fun. And, um, and hey, speaking of really fun, um, did I forget to send this to you? Did I send you um, uh, my most recent blog? No, I didn't get a chance to. No, I didn't see oh, it. Oh, I'm an idiot. I meant to send it to you this morning. Um, so my dear buddy, Eddie Yoon, who's one of the smartest people I know, he uh, wrote this amazing book, Super Consumers. Um, he, uh, he and I wrote an article for HBR, uh, the Harvard Business Review. And it's, uh, it's about um, how many superstars are leaving corporate America to become solopreneurs or entrepreneurs. HBR knows you didn't go to college, right? Yeah, I know. It's so funny. <laughs> I got invited. I gave a commencement speech at DeVry, DeVry University a couple of years ago. And I, I said that to them. Like, and I, I, um, you know, I've spoken at Stanford and MIT and Harvard. And, and this is actually not to brag, but my second piece in the Harvard Business Review. And it's like, um, you know, I got thrown out of school at 18 for being dumb, don't you? <laughs> Way to That's stick why it to the it, man. It, it's, it's all Eddie. He's, he's the brains behind the operation. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it is an interesting phenomenon to see how empowering it is for people, um, to, to, to reinvent themselves and, uh, and, and to become so, you know, we live at a time where in a lot of ways the technology has allowed you to niche down because it allows, if you want to be, if you want to be Dwayne France, if you want to be our friend Joe Sanic, you, you can do that, right? You can niche down into a tight, tight niche, you know, mental health for veterans. And prior to the technology, technology, it might have been hard to do that because if there, if you lived in a place where there wasn't a large vet population, you might not have much of a business. But of course, today with the internet, um, you you can reach millions of vets, um, and so that that. It's a very, very cool thing. Anyway, it's a, it's a phenomenon and I, that I love. My, my buddy, uh, Kevin Maney calls it becoming a personal enterprise. 
And even if you're an employee, you know, I think as a mindset, it's a great mindset to think about yourself as a personal enterprise, as a business, you know, or um, as JC's, Jay-Z, Jay-Z said, say that three times fast. I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. <laughs> no, exactly. And uh, you're doing a lot of great stuff, Chris, and uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Dwayne, thank you so much, brother. And I can't wait to have you uh, on my podcast. I'll fire an email to you and we can get the schedule fired up. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. Yeah. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. I wanted to bring Christopher on because his thoughts and words have had a huge influence on my life, and I see the relevancy for veterans to hear what he has to say. I first heard him on another podcast, Joe Sanok's Practice of the Practice. It was a three-episode series, and after listening to all three in one week, twice, I drove to the bookstore on a Friday evening because I didn't want to wait for his book to come in the mail. The information he has is extremely valuable and important for veterans to hear, so I hope you enjoyed it. Many times, veterans can get stuck in a vacuum where we're only talking to other veterans. If we do that, we miss out on the amazing opportunity to hear what others have to say for us, to us, about us, and with us. Make sure to check out Christopher's podcast, Follow Your Different, and both of his books at Lockhead.com. You won't be disappointed, although you may often be uncomfortable, and that's not a bad thing. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash HST100. While you're there, share the link of the show with someone that you think may enjoy it. Another bit of an update. It's taken us less than two years to get to episode 100. We're going to get to episode 200 twice as fast. Starting next week, we're moving into a new phase of the show where we'll be releasing two shows a week, Tuesday and Thursday. The weekly Headspace and Timing blog post, which is usually released on Thursday, will move to Wednesday. We're just getting started. We have a number of outstanding guests coming up on the show, and I can't wait to share all that they're doing. On that note, however, we're always looking for guests. You can drop me a line at info at veteranmentalhealth.com to recommend guests, or you can go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash guest to fill out a suggestion request. Just as a reminder that the guests and information in this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. While I'm a practicing therapist, I'm not your therapist. If something you've heard makes you think that you should talk to somebody, reach out and do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us next week for another great episode. Until then, remember, veterans, you're not alone, ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul. Eventually my drinking, it got out of control. There in darkness, I roam, struggling to find home. See, suddenly death didn't feel so alone. 22 a day, destination unknown. It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone. But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone. Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stone. I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies. Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me. R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility. Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability.
guys. Take those bottles out, dog, and pour them in the sink. Take the needles out your arm and the gun away from your forehead. It's time, man. You've been through enough pain. Stand up. It's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man. Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up, you know. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.